Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. I have a special guest today, and this is, this is one that I look forward to because... I'm an archer, but anybody that knows archery, that you can always understand more um, of products and in the field and so forth. And I've got the director of marketing today, Gary Cornum from Easton, Severin, Delta McKenzie. We're really going to focus in today on on Easton and then Delta McKenzie. But Gary comes with a wealth of knowledge, so anytime I can, I can always learn more, especially in the archery world. I love to have guests on, and and happy to have you on today, Gary. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, and I really appreciate you having me on. I'm I'm always uh, excited and uh, energized to talk about to talk about archery arrows and bow hunting. So, well, well, that's great. So, usually, how I how I like to do mine, right? Like, I always like to start off the podcast by getting to know getting to know the guest. When when did you get into hunting? Like, was it something that that your parents did that got you in from an early age? Or tell us just how how you got that bow in the hand the first time. No, thanks for asking because that always, you know, that always warms my heart a little bit. Um, my, my, my dad started taking me hunting when I was oh, about eight years old. And back then, um, I just remember, it, I don't know what it was. There's like a chemistry when you're that young, but I, I mean, I would, I'd be waking up in the middle of the night. I couldn't even sleep. I would get so excited. And so, um, that just kind of translated into, boy, wouldn't it be cool to work in the industry? Mm-hmm. So I went to, you know, I grew up, I kept hunting with my dad and, and, um, and then I started shooting archery a little bit, but I was mostly a gun hunter. We fished a lot. We did all that stuff in the outdoors. Uh, but then, uh, then I, I did a little bow hunting with a friend and it was interesting because I, I had a, I was up at the university of Utah and I had a, I was studying marketing. I got my degree in marketing and I got out of college and the friend that introduced me to to archery and bow hunting, um, we'd been on a few a few mule deer hunts out west here, and um, it was his. He had a brother that was the sales manager at Easton at the time, and I just got out of college, and a, a position came open. And anyway, just to make a long story short, that's how I got connected into Easton. So I took sort of my love for what my father, you know, introduced me to the outdoors my love for marketing with what I studied in school. And then I've been blessed enough to be able to be able to blend all that. And so what it, what it boils down to is, you know, you can really put all those passions together in, in the work that you do each day. It is. So, and that's, you, you hit on a lot that I like to ask on my podcast is the number one thing that I, the questions I get on social media and on podcasts the guests that I have on, everybody loves to hear how to get into the outdoor industry, right? Any any stretch, because just as you mentioned, you were a hunter and, and just fell in love and had that thought of, man, I wish mm-hmm. I could work in the hunting and fishing world, right? Because right? then I get right. to I get to live and breathe it every single day. What beats that? 
yeah. Um, so what, like you went to the university of Utah. Um, <laughs> how, how did that transition work to getting into the industry? Any, any advice you have for listeners yeah, on there sure. that, that want to yeah, follow that so path? The way it worked for me. And I think, I think it, you know, everybody's different, but I was, I was started to look I thought, well, I'd really like to put my, my, you know, my passion for marketing to work, um, in this industry. Uh, but it, it was funny cause I, I, I was after the job I wanted, um, and you know, I had a lot of, you know, just a lot of dead ends. Um, and then, um, I took a job with Easton, which wasn't exactly what I, what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was, I was basically on the technical support for the dealer line. So I was, I was talking to dealers all day long on, on this technical archery questions. Um, and I had to learn really fast, um, working with the engineers and others here at Easton. But as I got up to speed, but it, it wasn't exactly the job that I was shooting for, but it was an opportunity to get in with Easton. So I took that job and then it wasn't very long before uh, an opportunity came up for as a marketing coordinator. And so then I just moved over there. Then the, I was the marketing manager and now I'm the director of marketing. So it maybe to get into that, it might maybe just managing your expectations and realizing that, you know, if you really want to get into the outdoor industry, just get, get in somehow and then build upon that through your hard work, through your, your diligence and, and seeking after the, the kinds of things that you do well. And I think, you know, if it's, if it's an industry you're passionate about and you want to make a career out of it, then you might look at it and approach it that way. At least it worked for me. I think that's, that's uh, great advice, right? Walk before you can run. So don't, you, you may have an ultimate job in mind, but if you can just get your foot in the door and then it's hard work from that point to get you to where you really want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. We have, a, I've had a lot of guests from Cabela's just with our close relationship there. And I want to say almost every guest I've had from Cabela's, they all started in a retail store somewhere, just either yeah. working in, working in the archery, the footwear department, um, hunting clothing, ammo. And, and you hear their stories of working in the store, but it got, gave them the experience. And it sounds like the same as you as a technical support, right? Yeah. You got yeah. To, to work yeah, firsthand. That's a great point too. And I, I actually, the first job I had out of college, I, I worked a year in retail and it wasn't even in the art, outdoor hunting industry. Then the opportunity came up here at Easton. But one thing that's great about that is, boy, if you work retail, you learn, you learn about the customer and, and, and how to service them and the questions they ask. And it's, a, it, and that, even that is a great foundation for what you're doing, um, you know, in, in the rest of your career as well, because you're ultimately, you do have a customer at the end of that, at the end of that supply chain and knowing what they need and what their wants are and how to service them is a huge, huge help. For sure. For sure. So looking back when you were hunting with, um, your father and do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I had two sisters, two sisters. Uh-huh. So did they, uh-huh. did they hunt or was it just you? No, just me. Okay. Uh, and, and I, you know, and I, it was, uh, it was, they had no interest in it really. Um, and, but I sure did. I mean, I was just like, you know, I, I remember like I'd fill my dad's, you know, shooting vest up with shotgun shells the night before. I was just so curious about it and mm-hmm. thought it was just such a cool, you know, thing. And, you know, made my heart pound to get out there and hunt with him. And, uh, you know, I just I immediately just really fell in love with it right away, right off the bat. So looking back now, what were some of those, your, your favorite, like if I had to ask, what was your favorite memory growing up and hunting with your, with your father? I think it was, I think it was those, those, those pheasant hunts. It was back in the real glory days of, of when, you know, pheasants were especially out West here. I know there's still some, some good places to do it, but I think at that time, just the, the conditions were right. And, and just to be out there with my cousins and uncles and, you know, to have those birds jump up and scream. And, and oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, what, even today I make sure I go out every year on a good pheasant hunt because I just have that, but it, it just instilled for me of that love for the excitement. There's that challenge. There's the uncertainty of the outcome that I think it's the, all those things come to, into t- together into a chemistry that really makes makes it so we it gets into our blood and from there he started taking me deer hunting um and then and then once i realized that kind of that i got through all that i used to love you know i used to be so involved with just you know 
wanting to fill my tag. And then when I got beyond that, when I got it started really bow hunting after I started here, I just getting in so close to the game is what makes my heart pound and still does today. Mm-hmm. So obviously going out hunting out west the majority of the time it's it's spot and stalk have, have you been able to get to the east and do a bunch of whitetail hunting too yeah oh, oh yeah and more and more over the years i've i uh you know the midwest wherever i can the south or you know wherever i can get i'd love to hunt whitetail um i like that there's you know out west getting a tag is sometimes difficult mm-hmm. and then you you know you the oppor- the amount of opportunity out here it, we have a we have a wide variety we have some really cool species as you know uh but the uh, the opportunity is is just not you know, the days of field just aren't there by you know as they are when you get in and white tillers is so much fun to hunt so i get i go yeah i i go east whenever i can and and do all that as well that was my first so my dad never was never an archery hunter my brother-in-law was the one and his dad was never an archery hunter so in his college years he picked up a bow for the first time and fell in love with it instantly so he was the one that convinced me to start trying it and i mean back then having having no real advice just grabbing a bow getting in a tree stand wrong sets wrong wind over hunting it like 25 years ago, things were done a lot different, right? So, but that first, and I just remember it was like a small buck that went and and just literally stood underneath me. It was the closest I had ever been to a whitetail. And my heart could have jumped out of my chest. I was so excited. And from that moment, I was just hooked, right? Because how often with a rifle do you ever get that close? Right. Never. You just move on glass from a distance and, and those close encounters just are so special. They really are. And, you know, I... I, you know, I love all kinds of hunting and I still do, but, um, even like if I'm sitting, if I have a tag, say it could be even a doe. And even today I could be sitting in my tree stand and the, here she comes, my heart starts pounding yep. and, it's like, yep. and it doesn't matter. Like, it's just such a neat, there's a moment where when I'm bow hunting and I see the game coming from their tree stand or whatever the situation might be where all of a sudden I realize and I tell, I, I tell myself, you know, Hey man, you're going to get a shot. And yep. as soon as I do that, my heart just like, it's like, it's something that I don't even do consciously, but all of a sudden I have this realization that I'm going to get a shot and this thing is right in front of me. And it's just such a cool feeling. Yep. Yep. So how many years have you been with Easton now? I just completed a few months ago, 30 years. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you have seen some some changes um, in the archery world, like not many have over thirty years. Let's uh, oh, yeah. just let's yeah. just focus in on arrows. What were arrows thirty years ago when you were getting in compared to yeah, what so they are today? When I when I started here, it was it was the Super Slam XX seventy eight aluminum arrow was the latest introduction, and also that was right at the time that uh carbon was just coming and it was the old uh really small diameter outsert uh carbon that had just come out there was no internal components in carbon at that at that time either so um kind of the flagship era of the industry at that time was the the xx78 um and then easton was dabbling a lot on the uh with the ac the aluminum carbon uh, hybrids primarily for the Olympic games and other competition at that time. So that was, that was when that the carbon was kind of just barely emerging in the market. And how like, look back, how big was the archery industry then compared to what it is now? Just, you know, total hunter wise. Yeah. I think it's grown. I bet it's grown by, so in that time, you know, I, for a while, we just thought it was going stagnant, you know, and mm-hmm. it was kind of that same number every year. But really, when I look at license sales and and, and just some of the data that we get from the Archery Trade Association um, and, and, and doing just anecdotally what, you know, what I'm talking to and seeing growth in like the total archery challenges and the other events going on around the country, I would guess that the industry's probably grown 30 percent in that time. Um, and and that, there was a big concern at that time that that hunting was kind of dying on the vine because, mm-hmm. you know, access to land and, and dads weren't taking kids out like they used to be. And, and what I've really seen is, particularly with archery, is there's this kind of resurgence, almost like a, 
almost like you know alongside the extreme sports stuff that archery is archery is viewed very much as a cool it's kind of a, like got a cool factor going on now and um and so it's been really fun to see that kind of change over those years it it i think you hit the nail on the head right there with having that cool factor um and you see a lot of younger hunters getting into it and and from our side we've actually seen a lot of new hunters getting into it to where it's it's a younger person that wants to get into hunting and they pick up a bow first rather than a rifle right yeah yeah there's just the and there's an interest you you know that you just brought up too i remember even before i hunted or any of that i had a friend um, that lived one of the neighbor that was out shooting just a little, almost like a little fiberglass longbow. And I was probably, I don't know, five or six years old at the time. And I, I just remember like it, I think it's inherent with kids or something. People just like, they want to shoot a bow for yep. some reason. Like, like it's just a really fun thing to do is to put an arrow on the string, pull back and let go. And, you know, that fundamentally, I think just everybody that I, I've, I encounter, uh, that even aren't into archery, but have the opportunity that they're at a show or something where they have an archery range set up. People just love to pick up a bow and shoot it. It's just kind of an inherent human thing. And I do love the, the tack events because it, it really makes the season year round, right? Because oh, so you may yeah. not be in the field or in a tree hunting, but you're still in a competitive state um, and grabbing your bow and and going out with a group of friends, right? It's, it's like I look at it, it's golf for archery. Yeah, yeah, and it's really easy to you know get out in the backyard and, and shoot a bow, you know, and 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 yeah, and then we have all these great events popping up where you go have a good time. So. It, yeah, archery is pretty accessible and if, if you look at it that way as well. Yep. And I know you, I mean, just with, with Easton, you have to, to work with some of the top archery shooters in the industry, both in the competition and in, in the field realm. Um, have you ever done any competition shooting yourself? I've only, I, I really never have got into that other than, um, you know, I've shot I'll, mostly what I like, if I'm shooting 3D, I like to do it as almost like a fun thing. I love to get out in the woods and, and try, you know, estimate distances, but I've never got into the, I've never got into the competitive side. Although, you know, we have our pro staff shoots everything from the ASA tournaments all the way up to the Olympic games so that we, so we're, we're around it very much. And there's a lot of competitor sh- uh, shooters here within the walls of our company, um, and here we do, and a lot of people know this, but we do have a factory here. We make our arrows here in the U S so it's pretty, it's pretty cool that we've been able to do that for a hundred years. And that, and you just, you brought up something that I wanted to touch on this year is year 100 for Easton as a company, correct? That's right. We just, uh, we just, yeah, we just celebrated a hundred years. Um, we were founded in 1922. So, um, as of this year, we're starting on our 101st year. So yeah, that's true. Wow. And when, so when it started, was it archery that started it in 1922 or what was the company originally? Founded? Yeah. yeah. So Doug Easton, the namesake of the company, um, he started, uh, he was a hunter. In fact, very much like you and I've been talking about, he was, uh, he was out, he was a gun hunter. Um, and what, what happened was, is, um, they were bird hunting one day and, um, and there was a shotgun lean against one of the old cars. It fell over and actually some of the, some of the, it discharged and some of the shot hit him in the leg um, and put him in the hospital for a few months. And one of his friends gave him Saxon Pope, Pope's book about bows and arrows. When he got out of the hospital to make a, a long, a really long, cool story short, he started making bows and arrows based on the book he read by Saxon Pope. And, um, and that became a a catalyst for him to, he made, he was so good at what he did and he was making wood longbows and wood arrows at the time, Mm -hmm. cedar shafts. He was so good at what he did that people wanted to buy him. And so he started his business that way, um, with his own, his own little shop. And then he was, he was really, um, you know, had a good engineering mind. And, uh, after a while he, he ended up, you know, inventing like the aluminum arrow and then it went from there. But yeah, the company was founded originally from, from Doug Easton, um, starting out making his own wood arrows and longbows in 1922. And we, 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 we call 1922 our founding year because that was the, 
the that was the time when he started his first shop where he was making equipment and and selling it so he actually got into archery a little bit before that but um, but after he'd honed his skills and and you know got to the point where he could you know really refined his equipment at the time um and he was making tournament at the time tournament grade arrows wood wood tournament grade arrows um and he's real stickler for improving and so he he became renowned for making the best equipment and then he just kept improving it throughout his lifetime wow so was his first arrow hand carved then was that what he did first yeah. before it got into the shop and more tooling yeah yeah they were hand carved and then he then he figured out tooling and then he actually improved the wood arrow by by using a harder wood at the front end and he made it had to make a jig so it all um, like almost like dovetailed together he called it the four-footed cedar shaft and he put a uh, he put a harder wood at the front end to make it more durable, um, and had to had to create a special jig and lathe to be able to do that. Um, but uh, was really meticulous and and driven to create a better product. And so um, there's so many limitations with wood grain and whatnot. Um, arrows you, at that time had to be numbered, and then you would shoot them, and and based on where they hit, you'd have to record. Um, so you'd say, say if you had a dozen arrows, you'd number them one through 12, and then you'd kind of record in your, you know, in your quiver, you'd have a little card, you'd write down number one always hits at one o'clock numbers, you know, yeah. arrow number seven always hits at three o'clock. And, and so you would aim off target to make, make it hit the, the center. And, and it was kind of that, that cumbersome process that drove him to, to invent the aluminum arrow later on in the 1940s. And the family is still a family business, correct? Yeah, yeah. So then, um, so a lot of people know the Easton brand for like team sports equipment. So Doug Easton, his son Jim, uh, started within the company around during the 1940s and 50s when he was a young man. Um, and then he took over when his father, Doug, passed away. And a lot of that Easton sports equipment, the baseball bats and everything, really came to be under, under Jim Easton. Um, and then, uh, and then Jim's son, Greg is the CEO of the company now. So we're third generation Easton's and, and that's where, um, the team sports actually was, was sold off, uh, about 2006. And so we're back to archery only under Greg's direction, but it really, um, it's, it's really cool that we're a third generation company and we're still family owned after a hundred years. That is awesome. And, and Easton Arrow is hundred percent made in the U S correct? Yeah, we yeah. do. We make them. Um, yeah, we got a factory right here. Um, and I, you know, I can hear the machines over, you know, through behind this wall here that I'm sitting next to We're we're in the front office and then the machinery and equipment. So axis FMJ six, five, all the hunting arrows and everything that we, we do are made right here behind the wall. That's awesome. And um, I know your director of marketing is Sever and, and Delta. Sever, we're going to, everybody listening, we're going to touch on, on Sever just because it's so separate from everything else at a, at a later podcast. When did, when did the Delta McKenzie um, targets get kind of, kind of wrapped into the Easton brand? Yeah. So uh, early 2000s, um, there was uh, Easton acquired that. And then, it became part of our division about uh, nine years ago. Um, it operated sep separately for the first few years once we acquired it. And then um, we just found we were able to, you know, share some of our resources, marketing and accounting and others by kind of folding it into our, our division here. So we, uh, yeah, so we, we take care of them as well in terms of their product line and uh, marketing and, and sales and promotions and all those things. So, um, it really makes a nice fit as well. Well, I was pretty excited because um, anybody that's that's listening, um, I just put a 3D archery course in right next to my house here, and it's it's kind of set up a little bit different. It's not like a tack event to where you move from one spot to the next, just because I had to be realistic with the real estate that I have. But I set it I set it up um, as four stations. So you go to go to one spot and you've got four different targets at each one. I, I put a ground blind in to where all of a sudden you've got the strutting turkey and, and you got the white tail and you've got just a small window to shoot through the vitals and and tried to make each station as realistic to hunting as I could. Um, 
just because that's, I mean, that's what I do when I have a bow in my hand is I'm, I'm heading out to archery hunt, not a competition shooter, obviously. So I, I put this in and I'm super excited. I got that video coming out. I hope everybody listening, um, looks at those amazing 3d targets. Um, and I love you guys got some wacky designs too, which is always fun. Yeah. The kids love, the kids love some of the goblins and stuff that we do. But one thing about the, the Delta targets that, um, that I've always, even before they came around for us is I like how realistic they mm-hmm. look. We, we've worked with some really, you know, some really skilled, uh, sculptors to make those. And then our, our depart, our paint department and whatnot, um, I love I love how realistic those targets look, and we have a huge variety of animals, and it sure is a lot. I mean, 3D, that was another thing. You know, you talked about when I came into the industry 30 years ago, 3D was just barely coming out at that time, and um, and really that was, I mean, just it's so much fun, like you say, to go out and, and shoot at those animals. Those of us that are bow hunters, you know, it's just it's something that we can take take our, our sport to the four seasons, like you mentioned, because, uh, but to have a realistic target in so many different types of species is really, you know, it's, it really is, it makes archery a lot of fun. Well, for, for me, like I, I prepare as much as I can to get to the field, right? Cause as anybody that archery hunts knows, you may only get one crack, especially on a spot and stalk hunt in a, in a, in a travel hunt situation. And you can sit there and shoot at a, at, at a, at a traditional archery target, all you want from 30, 40, 50, 60, all the, all the way out, but you never get how you always in a spot and stock. It seems like it's quartering one way or the other. You have yeah. to do, you have to shoot funky off a knee or slightly leaning. And you never just get that to where it's standing broadside at 35 yards and it's exactly. wide open looking the other way. Right. So that's where I love the, the course that I set up here, trying to make it as challenging and realistic as possible at a bunch of different angles, shooting up, shooting down. Um, some you've got to do a little bit of a lean to get through the window and, and just making it like that and just being it a hundred percent is going to prepare me better to hit the field each time. And, and just like any type of hunting, the more confident you are, the better you're going to be. Oh yeah. And, and, and it is, and it is like, you're right. It's never, I mean, you get broadside shots. Sure. But it's like whenever we're out, even in the backyard shooting through on these 3d targets, you know, we'll set one up quartering away at different mm-hmm. angles and whatnot. And, and we, you know, even out here behind the plant, we got a three, a little 3d course set up. We have an elevated stand with stairs. We can walk up and, oh, that's great. and do some of that, but it, it is interesting and, and very educational. Like you're talking about to, to, you know, you take that shot, uh, say it's quartering, mm-hmm. quartering away and elevated, and then you go down and you look at your arrow and you, and you kind of go, okay, if it went all the way through, where would this have come out? And it really kind of is eye-opening in terms of shot angle, where you're aiming, what you did wrong. And the more you practice, you know, some of those things, the more it becomes instinctive when those those awkward shots you're talking about do come along, you kind of more instinctively know what to do if you've practiced that way. Well, there's been a lot of times to where you, you let one go and you're like, man, that was perfect. Just an absolute perfect one. Then you walk up to the target and you're like, yikes, that was yeah. too far back, too high. And you're like right. doing the angle where it would come through. And even though yeah. your eye at that time is telling you that is a perfect shot, like I aim just where I wanted to. And you walk up there and realize, oh, I need to adjust what my what my brain's telling me when I got an angle like that. Yeah. Because even though yeah. it seems perfect, I gotta I have to change it. It's an excellent way to practice. I yep. agree. If just that reason. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. So what are do you just archery hunt now or do you, do you rifle hunt? And I, I know you said you get out pheasant hunting every year or do you rifle oh, hunt? Yeah. yeah, I do a little rifle hunting. Um, you know, what just depends. I, I really enjoy, I mean, I'm, I like to reload, you know, and I like to, I, before I got into arch, before I got into Easton and archery, I was, I was really got, was getting into reloading and, you know, and I like, I like to, so I have a lot of, a lot of equipment at home where I, you know, I like to work up loads and have play around with different calibers and different bullets. And I still do some of that. Uh, although it seems like more and more that, that time gets squeezed down as you, you know, you kind of have to pick your, pick your hobby, so to speak. Uh, you know, my dad was a golf coach for 30 years and, um, and, and, you know, if people always ask me if I golf and I was just like, 
Hey, between the shooting sports and all that, it's funny you mentioned like my family, my sisters are golfers. And so they got that from my dad and I got the hunting from my dad. So, um, but there's just, there's not enough time to do all of it, but um, I love to, I love that because there's, there's, it offers its own, there's a way to enjoy that sport as well. And more fully, like I do with reloading and other things, you know, and so it, depending on, you know, there's so many things in the, in the shooting sports and in the outdoor world that we can enjoy. Um, and I try to take advantage of as much of it as as I possibly have time for. No, that's, that's great. I'm the same exact way, right? Like the seasons change throughout the year. The seasons also change in hunting season. There's an archery season. There's a muzzleloader season. There's a rifle season. There's a bird season. And I, I've just won that, I love them all, right? There's no favorite. You just, whatever, whatever season you're yeah. in and you can, yeah, you can it's max a different your time. Flavor. Yeah. It's a different flavor of ice cream, right? I mean, they're all good. So, um, you just, you know, you take advantage of the ones you can and enjoy it, enjoy them all. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So looking back, what are, what have been some of your, your favorite hunts that you've been able to do as, as over the last 30 years? Um, you know, I, I, I just remember when I first got my first white tail buck, I thought that, you know, cause we're, we're out West, you know, and I just, when I was younger, I didn't have the opportunity to do that. I'd always, I, I used to read hunting magazines religiously, you know, and there were so many, and I'd read these whitetail articles and I, I almost developed a love for it before I ever did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember that when I finally connected on, on a, on a whitetail buck for my first time, um, which, you know, I'd probably been here, I think I'd been at Easton probably 10 years before that happened. And so that was really meaningful for me. I remember the first, the first deer I got with my bow, um, I was all on my own and just, I, you know, that's so memorable because I just remember thinking, wow, it worked. Uh-huh. I, I, I just got this thing with a bow and an arrow and I thought, oh, that was so cool. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've had some neat hunts out West here. Um, I got a, the Shiris moose here with my bow. Um, and I don't, those are, those are some of the ones that I remember the most, but I honestly, it's funny. People ask me today, you know, what's your favorite hunt? And honestly, I love to go down South and hunt hogs. I'm like, I'm like, I get, to, I get to shoot a lot of arrows. I have no pressure whatsoever. Yep. And I could just enjoy the experience of it. I like to eat them. I do all that. So, but you know, all in all, I mean, I love bow fishing, you know, so there's so much to do, but yeah, th- those are some of the more memorable ones. Um, it's just some of those milestones, some of the early hunts where, where I get out to, uh, and you, I'm sure you've, you know, with a hunting experience that you've had, you, whenever I hunt a new species, mm-hmm. it's really cool. You know, like I remember the first time I hunted Neil guy in Texas and it was, it's so cool to sort of get to know that animal. Their behavior is different than anything you've hunted before. It's just it's kind of like a whole new experience. And so every time I've hunted a new species with a bow, those are, those are some of the more memorable experiences that I've had. Well, every time you're hunting a new species or a new... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Area, every second you're in the field is something new. Because you've never yeah. never experienced that before, so your mind's just like a sponge taking, taking everything in. And yes. I tell everybody every time you get to experience somewhere new or a new culture, new species, it's improving me as a hunter, right? Like even though I, I'll come back here and hunt whitetail, even I went down and hunted Neil Guy this past year down in Texas and, and learned a ton too, right? Like vitals are a little bit different, um, behaviors yeah. way different. I just yeah. every everything about the whole what they eat, everything about their their habits, everything, right? You can take that back now and you just kind of understand it a little bit more and you can some I tie that into whitetail hunting here now, just because you've, you've advanced your knowledge of hunting in general. Yeah. And it, it is, it is really cool, but that makes, that makes, it does make you a better hunter. And I, I agree with you. It, it's just, um, it kind of makes that experience new again, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, you know, those are always, always some of my favorite hunts. If I have something new to try and it's funny, it's like you go, Oh, should I go hunt, you know, pick a species you haven't hunted before. And you're kind of like not really excited. And then 
I, at least for me, and then I get there and I experience it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is so great. I want to do it again. You yep. know, yep. So, how, how did I wait so long to do this? Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So being in Utah, I assume you apply for just about everything there, right? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. What, what I know you drew a, a Shiris moose tag. Yeah. Um, what are some other ones that you've drawn in, in Utah? Uh, I, I've been really pretty lucky because a lot of these hunts are once those, those tags are once in a lifetime. So, um, it, it can take, you know, it, we have a point system here. It can take 20 points to draw, you know, 30 points in mm-hmm. some cases. Um, I got that moose tag on my, uh, the very first time I put it in just, oh, wow. I was really lucky. So that, that, that let me, uh, go after some other species, uh, cause I got that one behind me. And so then, um, five years later, I drew desert sheep here, um, and also got really lucky on that draw. Um, and then, um, and then last year I drew Rocky mountain bighorn sheep here. So, um, we have five once in a lifetime species and I've been fortunate and blessed enough to be able to hunt three of them. Um, and then now we have the only two I haven't, um, that I haven't uh, drawn is the mountain goat and the bison. Um, and then the other, the other species we have here, we have elk and, and, uh, mule deer and, um, and pronghorn. So those, those you can draw every, you know, it, it, pretty much every year you can hunt, uh, deer and elk with archery. You can hunt elk every single year. And most cases you can hunt deer every single year. And then pronghorns about once every seven, five to seven years. So are you also applying in some other Western States too? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I play, you know, Wyoming, Colorado, um, and, um, but you know, I, I used to apply for a lot more. Um, but now I take, I take my honey days and I generally go out and hunt on whitetail, whitetail turkeys and hogs, um, just because the opportunity so is there. And so many of our, so many of our, our people that use Eastern products, that's kind of their trifecta, a lot of them. And so I like to spend as much time as I can hunting, hunting those types of species so that I'm, I'm well connected to what the needs are, uh, and, and, and the other side of it is I just love it as well. Mm-hmm. So. so where on whitetail, where are some of your, your favorite spots that you've been able to whitetail hunt? I, you know, I've been around, I'm going to try Ohio this fall. I've never been there. Um, I've hunted, I've done well in Nebraska. That was a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of, you see mule deer and whitetail out there. Uh, Kansas is always a good one. Uh, Illinois. And then I'm going to hunt whitetail for the first time down in Florida this year. Actually, this is the second time I forgot that was one of the, that was a blast. I did spot and stock whitetail in Florida eight years ago, and that was really unique. And Florida, the Florida whitetails are almost like, almost like a subspecies, mm-hmm. I think, you know, like a seminal whitetail, I think they might call yep. it. But um, it kind of reminds me of like the, the coos deer um, down in, down you know, down in Arizona because they're, they're really kind of almost like a subspecies. They're smaller, but a really big, you know, really big ones like, you know, a 120, 130s are really big one, just kind of like the coos deer. But we're going to go back down there in September. They have an early rut where we're going and um, they rut in September. So that's unique and fun. And I'm looking forward to doing that too. Oh, that'll be a pretty awesome one. I've had, I've actually had the, the Seminole whitetail um, on my list for a few years now to try to get get down there and hunt too but it just seems like a such a cool area to hunt whitetail in it, it really was a blast um and and yeah if your expectations are you really understand that it's not a it's not a midwest deer yep. um yeah it's like it is it's like when you go hunt you know i haven't hunted coos deer but that 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 looks like something i should add to my list because they're just such a neat they're such a neat little you know, whitetail subspecies. And I, I think the Seminole whitetail is a little bit like that. Coos deer is probably, in my opinion, probably my favorite whitetail to hunt. You'll, you'll, they're small, but they're so aggressive. Like you'll see them come across mule deer and there's, they'll run mule deer out of the country, right? Like if you, if they're low ranches and have water down in, down in Mexico and they hold coos deer, you'll like, they will run the mule deer out of there. 
and they'll just control the area. They're yeah. just, they've got this great gray face and they look just really mean for a whitetail, but just to watch them move across the desert floor and, and thinking that you're going to see them. And then all of a sudden they disappear and you never see it again. I mean, just, yeah, and I, just I, I, awesome. I've had so many, I've had other guys just tell me how much they, it's a very similar experience with that. So I think, I think I need to add that one to my bucket list for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an awesome one. Um, so it sounds like whitetail hands down is the number one thing you like to chase with a bow. Am I right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And you, uh, just because the, you didn't mention Iowa, did you? You mentioned Kansas, but you didn't mention I, Iowa. I haven't hunted Iowa. I, I, you know, when the opportunity, if I, you know, if that just comes around, you know, somebody, you know, all, you just never know somebody that you, you, you connect or yep. somebody's got land. And I, I just expect that one will pop up one of these years. Yeah, no, that's, those are ones when, when we get calls at WTA, um, looking for big white tails, right? Like not just, not a subspecies. Where do I go? That constantly has big white tails. It's Iowa and Kansas is where we, yeah, they, where we generally just, send those, them. those two are just so known for that. Uh, you know, it's always, we're talking about big deer, you know, I was always in the conversation. Yep. And just if you look at constant average big deer, right? Like there, there are a ton of hidden pockets all over the U.S. to where you can get into some really good right. deer hunting. But constant yep. year over year, Iowa and Kansas, it's it's darn tough to beat, put it that way. Sure. Yeah, it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, that, those, those two always come up. But uh, for whatever reason, they seem to produce. When I pick my bow up for a hunt, no matter what hunt that may be, it's always full of Easton arrows. Currently, I'm shooting their Sonic 6mm arrows with a 125 grain Sever 2.0 titanium broadhead. Find Easton arrows at a dealer near you or learn more at EastonArchery.com. Doesn't matter if you're going after a big game animal like a moose, bison, or even a whitetail, Sever Broadheads has just the right broadhead that you need for your next hunt. They are the best expandable broadheads I've ever used. Give them a try. Right now, use promo code MP5 online at severbroadheads.com for an additional 5% off an already discounted product for the best possible deal. Again, that's MP5 at severbroadheads.com. As I prepare for all my upcoming archery hunts, I always get dialed in on life-size Delta McKenzie 3D targets. Being able to visualize the vitals for me in practice is key that lends to success in the field. If you're looking for any type of archery target, go to dmtargets.com and use promo code MP10 for an additional 10% off the best price. Again, that's MP10 at dmtargets.com. So let's flip back to, to Easton here. What are some of your favorite products that, that the company has right now? Oh, you know, that's, I'm glad you asked. We just, you know, it, arrows are at the end of the day, they're, they're a tube, right? Yep. And so um, I've been amazed. I've just been absolutely amazed at our, our engineering team that's, that's right here on site that has been able to take that, that concept of a tube and, and just make so much out of it. Um, so we, I was fortunate when I, when I took over director of marketing, one of the first projects I had was the Axis, uh, carbon arrow. Mm-hmm. And then two, uh, three years later, we, we rolled out the FMJ concept. And since then we've been able to, you know, we've taken the Axis down to four millimeter. We came out with the, uh, long range a couple of years ago. And then, um, the FMJ, we did the same thing. We took it down to the four millimeter and, and so, um, and then we've we've got the AC product too, where um, the carbon's on the outside, the aluminum the core tube in the middle, and the FMJ is the reverse of that. Um, those are really exciting. But then we've got like our newest introduction is this new lightweight, uh, you know, sonic sonic arrow we call it, made right here behind the wall that I'm sitting at, and um, and that one's been fun too in a six millimeter format. So, um, but the the yeah, the the FMJ and the Axis were kind of my, those were those were near and dear to my heart because those were some of the first arrow introductions we did after I took over marketing here, and so um, they it's fun to see that FMJ almost come of age over the last few years. Uh, it was there and we sold them well, but it seemed like after that market had been on or that product been on the market for about ten years, the market really discovered it and. Um, FMJs come on really strong and, um, and then we just continue to, to work, to try to 
make make improvements um you know with componentry and and uh, new models within those categories oh, that's awesome so i got a question for you are you have you tried the super heavy arrow setups on any of your bows um it probably are you referring to like our dangerous game fm yeah or? yep yeah yeah um i have i've actually shot them and um i took some i because i just wanted to see how they penetrated so we decided to take some down to florida and hunt hogs uh -huh. uh, and just see what a real heavy setup will do um it's pretty pretty cool to see those things blow through blow through stuff and then stick in trees as they after they've gone through um there's just something about it but uh yeah i've tried them i haven't shot them for a while but uh that that dangerous game fmg it, it's got a a, a, a thick uh, thick carbon uh, arrow with a you know heavy aluminum jacket wall to really you know most of them are shot you know like in africa and, mm -hmm. and, and most of that but you know it's always fun to try just the products we make so i did get a chance to use them but i haven't take i haven't taken them on any any uh any of those types of hunts where you're actually shooting you know heavy thick skin stuff like that well anybody that's hog hunted or, or knows anything about hogs they have got a serious breastplate on them to get yes, to get through and if that arrow went through that they're going to do just fine yeah they've yeah yeah you've seen those shields oh yeah they can be really thick so yeah we decided hey let's put these things to the test and see how they do and um yeah you can get those weighted up but, you know and i when i talk to some sometimes some of our pro staff or some of the the consumers will call in and they want to you know that we what's cool about easton is we make an we make an arrow for virtually any anybody mm -hmm. from like the youngest beginner all the way up to the olympic podium from you know shooting you know turkeys and whitetails to you know africa you know wherever you're going there's a product that'll fit it and that dangerous game arrow falls into that category so we we make the mainstream stuff and we make the outliers too so that everybody can enjoy archery that's great Oh, that's great. And that's one I played with the idea a couple of times of bringing my bow over um, overseas to Africa, just like Cape Buffalo with a bow, right? Like it, for, for me, like I think about that and that would be one of the ultimate things that I, that I could do in the field, just having, being able to hunt Cape Buffalo in the past with a rifle. Um, yep. That's definitely, on, definitely again on my short list to, to bring a bow over there and have that experience. Oh yeah, and I I set, I help guys get set up on that. Um, get some calls in here. A lot of the countries have minimum arrow weights yep. and different things, but we've seen it. We've seen that successfully happen over and over and over. Uh, that's one of the you know one of the game species that um, that gets regularly taken with bow and arrow, and um, you just have to pay attention to your setup. But uh, we have the we have the components and the shafts that um, if you want to do that. We can we can figure it out for you. So I've got I've got a good one to talk to you about here. So I've got a I've got a number of archery hunts, mainly deer, coming up this fall, but I do have a bison hunt coming up with my bow. Mm -hmm. What what would your recommendation be on arrow setup? Yeah, and bison bison's an awfully big animal. Yep, very yeah. big. Yeah, and so what I would do if I had that bison tag, which I I've been putting in for here in Utah. Um, but if I had that bison tag, I would probably set up, I'd pick one of our FMJs, um, uh, either the four millimeter, I'd look real hard at that four millimeter, uh -huh. um, five would do the job as well. But, um, there's, you know, that I just think, you know, given that, given that size of animal, that's just the right medicine for it. You could look at, um, you could look at the front end componentry as well. Uh, if I did the five millimeter, I'd probably use a brass insert on that. Mm -hmm. uh, add some weight up front, and then um, on the four, we have a uh, we have some components that would you know the outserts would be really good on that setup, um, and that would be really you know it'd be hard to pick on those. Um, I'd probably go with a I might go with the steel the steel half out or the titanium half out on a four millimeter FMJ uh, for that hunt, but I. I think that would be, it would be so fun to put either of those products to work on an animal that size and, and watch it go down. Well, I am just jotting down notes over here because I will uh, be getting an order placed pretty soon here to, to give those a try. Yeah. That'll yeah. Be uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. 
that would be great. And where are you headed for that one? So, uh, uh, Turner ranch, we work with the, with, uh, the Turners to book some of their, um, bison hunts. Cause same as you, I've been, uh, been applying to any bison hunt that, that there yeah. is in the U S and I'm, I'm just, I'm probably way behind in points for you and know that I'm going to be, be years away. So I took oh, the, yeah. took the advantage to go on one of the Turner ranches and I'm actually going to bring, bring my daughter along. I'm going to go bow hunting and she's going to go rifle hunting. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. I'll look forward to seeing that footage. That would be awesome. Yep. Yep. And then, then got a few, uh, few whitetail hunts and I, I always, start off my season early in, in September in Kentucky and just they're, they're a special state in Kentucky because they start the, the first Saturday, um, in September every year, they let you get after yeah, them. And, and I, I see some really cool photos coming out of Kentucky with some velvet bucks and, uh, that looks like it would be a blast. And I've kind of, I kind of got that one in the back of my mind is as to a place I probably should be looking at, um, to get on a hunt down there for early season. Well, you just need to let me know because, um, we we own an outfitter down there called Salt River Outfitters, but also during COVID, um, right? So every everything changed during COVID, and I, I, don't, I, I don't even like bringing it up anymore, but it kind of has to lead to the story to where I always usually have my schedule about 12 months in advance of where I'm going to be filming and, and what I'm going to be doing just because tags take so long and, and lining up travel and, and the camera guys and then the editing time and, and so forth. And I, I try to split 50, 50, I hunt, um, domestic 50% and I hunt international 50%. And I vary anywhere from anybody that follows me knows one time I could have a muzzleloader. One time I could have a, uh, bow. One time I'm going to have a rifle. One time I could have an air gun, right? You never know what, or a crossbow. Like I'm anywhere in between any season there is, I'm a believer that, that you should get out there and experience it. But during COVID, like all of a sudden, instantly all my international travel went away. And then some of the Western states started limiting to you couldn't have um, people from other states come in. And I'm like, all of a sudden, my schedule got shrunk down to I haven't had a schedule so light in a long time. Right. And I, I live in Michigan, which has a lot of deer, but not one I would classify as very, very trophy driven deer. Um, so I actually, during that time period, uh, bought a farm in Kentucky two reasons. One, it's an easy drive. It's seven hours away. I can go down there and, and completely got it. So we, we built it up for, for whitetail hunting. That is what this farm is built for. My first ever project that, that I did to where bought a piece of property and, and hundred percent just invested to grow big deer on it. Um, and the other one being is any of the outfits that I own. I, I personally don't like to hunt at them, right? Cause I get to see all the trail cam pictures. I get to see all that stuff ahead of time. Um, all of our, all of our Northern outfitters, I've seen the sheep in the spotting scope, right? I've seen what we have there. I'm not one that's going to go there and shoot the biggest every year. That's just, I, I generally, our outfits, I, I don't really like to even hunt there because I just have, I feel like I have an unfair advantage of the people that are, that are coming to hunt there. And I, I don't like that idea. So down in Kentucky, cause I like to hunt there every year. We bought our farm and, and have it set up. But now every year, because we'll get the trail cams going here come July, and, and all of a sudden you'll start seeing what's there. And it's just an amazing state because it's, it's one that you can buy an over-the-counter tag. You get one buck a year, and there are lots of hunters. But every year it seems to just generate big deer after big deer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that, yeah I've really heard a lot of good things about it the last, last little while. And so I've definitely got my sights over on that one as well. And it's it's a unique hunt, right? Cause you're, you're there the first week in September, Kentucky. There's so many times you get to the, get to the stand and you're only going to hunt for about three and a half to four hours. And you're really not going to see anything till the last 45 minutes. And you're just sitting there sweating, right? So it's a hundred percent wind control. You can, you can't ozone doesn't do anything when you just have sweat dripping off your forehead. So <laughs> you just have to be a hundred percent in the, in the right wind direction and you get most of the day to just, I mean, we go golfing, you get to do all that stuff. And it's really just that nighttime hunt. And the first couple of days, it's so amazing to watch all the guys bring, get their deer and, and what they saw compared to the trail camera and so forth. Just exciting, right? It kicks, for me, it kicks off the, the fall hunting season every year. Oh yeah. And, and that's one thing I like about like our state, we have, you know, we start up in August and um, it's really fun to get because everybody's chomping at the bit to go mm -hmm. hunting. You know? And so if you can start hunting in September for whitetail, you know, it's just like, it just extends it all, you yep. know, and, and allows us to, you know, have, have that opportunity that comes up. You know, it's like, we're sitting here in 
you know, in, in, in summertime and all of a sudden you realize, Hey, honey, season on top of me, you know? And it's like, you know, it's just, it's just really, you know, I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait till October. I can go, you know, I can go here pretty quick. So uh, that sounds like a really good one. Gives you, it gives you something to look forward to. There's always those winter blues, um, for us here in Michigan about mid January. Right. So hunting oh, yeah. season's been over a couple weeks now, and now it's the long stretch. So deer season doesn't start till October 1st here. So we've got basically over nine months to sit here and prepare for the next deer season. So come October 1st, there's a lot of hunters in the, in the trees here in, in Michigan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. But yeah, it's just very cool hunts. There's so many cool ones out there that, you know, I've, I've kind of got on the bucket list, but, uh, yeah, that's I, and that's another thing that I've seen. You know, you talked about the, the time that I've been here at East, and it, it feels to me like, you know, the opportunity isn't really diminishing. We were worried about that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, our, I think our game species are doing well by and large, uh, in most cases. But, um, but it just feels like there's there's still a lot of opportunity, and and we used to really worry about. Um, but, you know, that access uh, to hunting, we, you know, we were worried that it was going away or, you know, there's back then too, there's a pretty large, and there always is, but there's a pretty large anti-hunting faction mm-hmm. out there. But I don't think it's as active as it was when I started here. Um, and, you know, knock on wood or keep our fingers crossed that we can continue to, you know, keep those things going. But it, it is great to see all that opportunity that's out there for us to to get out and, and really enjoy some of these experiences that we're talking about. I couldn't agree more. So one question that I've, that I've started asking on the podcast, um, and it's kind of, it's kind of a tricky run, right? Cause there's always two facets for it, but especially for you being in the industry for over 30 years, looking at social media, has it helped or hurt the hunting industry? You know, I've never really asked myself that. Um, I would say it certainly, um, you know, social media in general, there's, there, you know, everybody kind of measures themselves against what's being put out there, which is generally everybody puts their best days out there and they leave their worst yep, days. Exactly. Out, right. Exactly. Yep. So, so I'd say, you know, from that standpoint, maybe, you know, as long as you realize that, so you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't get you down in any way. I think what it's been, what I've enjoyed is just the connection I've been able to make with other hunters, with other you know, even outside of hunting, but with, you know, family, friends, that kind of thing. Um, I, you know, and, and from a standpoint of, um, you know, it's given us, you know, I look at marketing when I started, we'd run magazine ads, we print a catalog. There was no, there was no website for Easton. Um, and, and so we'd spend months working on, you know, our new ad for the year, some of that stuff. Now we do those things daily. Like we literally yep. turn stuff so we're we're able to i'd say we have more touches with our end users in terms of like just daily kind of daily touches and uh, with with content advertising that kind of thing and i think that by and large and really really fun sometimes it puts a lot of pressure on the marketing department to you know to keep things you know keep things alive and 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 make sure we're you know make sure we're responding to our our, our consumers but I think just in terms of frequency, that's been a positive, but yeah, I'd say managing expectations of, of, you know, just realizing that a lot of these things that are put on there, take it with a grain of salt because for every giant, you know, out there that that guy shot, there's, you know, probably who knows how many days of field where he didn't get one, you know, yeah, making sure that you understand that, you know, it's still a hunt, right. At the end of the day, it's still, you know, it's still, you still got to get out there and do the, do the work and do the prep. Yep, no doubt. And that's kind of the best way for for companies. It's like I always look at it, it's great, right? Because now you don't have to wait. If you have a new product, you don't have to wait. There used to be hard sales seasons, which you probably remember very I mean, very well, right? Like you'd get a product oh, yeah. in and, and all of a sudden in, in month May, you'd have to get this ready and it's going to hit the to where the consumers can see it in some, late summer so they can start buying in, in the fall. And now it's not the case, right? You can You can roll out a new product any day that you want to. That's true. That's true. And it's really sped up the cycle, but I just feel like, you know, yeah, it's very fast paced. Um, You know, you're, you're putting out, we, we, you know, we design ads daily, you know, for putting them online or, 
or if we're putting out a content piece, we, we do that daily where before we just, we didn't do that, but um, you know, you look at it and you're right. You can, you can roll products out pretty much anytime. But um, one thing that I, I will say about archery and, and Easton, we don't really, we don't sell the, our arrows direct online because we feel like with archery, um, the dealer has a real strong role in that and getting people set up properly and, and getting them into the right bow that's fit for them. And, and so um, we, we, you know, we're, you need, you want to get any scenarios, you've got to get into a dealer, but I feel like in the, at the end of the day, they still have that role. And that's one thing that really hasn't changed. Um, in those 30 years is just that role of the, the pro shops, whether it be a Cabela's or a local dealer or wherever, um, that, that how vital they are to our, to our industry and, and really helping out with, you know, not only, not only with getting set up, but having places to shoot and that kind of thing. Exactly. And making sure that that bow was properly tuned. I look back at my early years of bow hunting and yikes, my bow was nowhere close, right? Like I, I don't even question why I couldn't, couldn't accurately shoot like I can now just in, in, in what you can do to make sure your bow is tuned. And I just, I, I'd got a new bow set up, um, three and a half weeks ago. So I was into the, into the archery shop and, and Tyler has set up my bow and we were sitting there and it's one of those things, right? Like I see him four times a year. I go in there and he sets up a new bow for me. And then I go back in after I shoot a couple hundred arrows, retune it. And then I see him through the season and and it's kind of like this relationship. And I was sitting there, I'm like, Tyler, how many bows have, have we worked on together? And you start talking he's like, I think we're on number nine. Right. And you're like for nine years, Tyler and I have had this relationship all centered around archery, right? But now it's to the point of it's not just around archery. We text all the time. But it all started because of archery going into a pro shop. Yep, and mm. that's, 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 that's plants the seeds, and they're, they're just so vital to yep. us, you know. But, uh, yeah, I agree. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's that's one of the things in 30 years that, I think is still very, very, very much uh, in need of. And, uh, and we're glad to have those, uh, those strong dealer bases out there. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. What I would like to do, knowing that we both have busy, busy falls to where it sounds like we're going to have a bow in our hand quite a bit is I would like to, to get you back on after the fall. Once, once all the dust is settled back down and I would love to talk about sever broadheads with you. Oh, that, that would be, uh, I would love that. It's been a fun brand to build. It's been awesome to see it take hold. Uh, the product we're super happy with, and I'd love to delve into that with you. Um, there's just so much going on there. We could easily, we can easily burn up an hour on sever. No problem. Exactly. And I, I just one quick story, um, on sever for anybody that's listening, right? Anybody that, that it's it you can probably attest to this anybody that has a bow set up and they change anything on it they're so touchy on it right so you switch broadheads what's it going to be like yes target shoots great what's it going to be like field penetration and and so forth like that and i it, when i switched to start start shooting sever i was the same way right you're always hesitant how's it going to work it has been flawless for me it has performed amazingly well in the field, not only target shooting, but actually in the field hunting, it has been flawless. And I just, I'm a, put it this way, Gary, I'm a huge fan of them. It's, it's, it's been, it's been great for us. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've been with Easton all this time and I've shot lots of broadheads and they've all done really well for me. And, like there's so many good products out there. I never disparage anything. And when those, when they came out, um, our engineer came to me and, and I, you know, and he said, Hey, um, you know, I've got this idea for a new broadhead. And I said, you're going to have a hard time prying the ones I'm using today out of mm -hmm. my hand. And I, we've been, I've just, I have the same experience you just described. And it's been really fun to have a product that solid, um, behind the, you know, the marketing that we're doing, um, to get it out there and really, um, hear, hear that kind of feedback that you just gave over and over and over again. Um, you know what, I mean, just, this has been so much fun for me, uh, to, to be involved in, in building that brand. So I look forward to that opportunity as well. Well, you're, 
you're fortunate, right? Because you get to work in marketing, but you're marketing brands that work in the field for hunters, right? So you're not you're not having to market something to really do a sales pitch on it. You're marketing something that works for hunters. Yeah, and that I'm glad you brought that up because you know we could be selling any number of consumer products, mm -hmm. right? But you know if you if you if you really think about it. This is the thing that people go to when they're not at work, right? Yep. They don't have to buy it. This is the stuff they want to buy, the stuff they want to use. And what a cool place, what a cool industry, what a cool place to make product is to know that, you know, this is people's passion. This is what they do when they're not working, you know, and, and to have those kind of products that we get to market that people are, are actually looking for. And when I talk to you or, or whoever our end users, uh, at a show is so fun because everybody's so enthusiastic. You can tell that this is something they're passionate about. And well, how cool is that to be able to make those kind of products and market those kind of products to, to the extent that those are the ones that people really look forward most to buying and getting their hands on. It's really pretty fun. Knowing, knowing the marketing role, it's always great to hear the end users stories at the end. Right. That's nothing, nothing beats that of a, of a guy that is so excited because yeah. of the product that he or she bought or the trip that they went on and, and just yeah. everything worked out perfect for him. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's so much fun. And, and to feel their enthusiasm and their excitement is, it just keeps, it may, it's what drives it. It keeps us going because, you know, it's like one thing I always say is, you know, it's like, we know about those heart pounding moments. We know about the heart pounding moments that you're having in the tree stand. We, we, we realize you're having heart pounding moments when you, when you reach the podium, podium at the, at a tournament or at the Olympics, we love those moments. So that's why we do what we do every day so that we can have those moments so that you can have those moments. And, and that's our driver. No, that is, that is great. And couldn't set it better. Well, perfect. I won't take up any more of your time today. Thank you for coming on. Anybody that's listening, um, obviously everybody's heard of Easton. Um, check out their website. They have a ton of information on there for all their products, but also um, just general archery knowledge. They do a really good job of having everything up there. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and I, it's a pleasure. And I, I'll, you know, it's it's not. I'll carve out time for you anytime because this is uh, this is actually the best part of my job is, is is doing things like this. I appreciate you having me on. Well, perfect. Have a great day, Gary. All right, thank you. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, give the team a call at 1-800-775-8247. Enjoy your journey.